0: I am super excited to be here today with Jonathan Mosen. Welcome to another edition of This Time Around. So Jonathan, I haven't even had a chance to really tell you what this time around is or how I came to it, but I think it's it's perfect for a ton of stuff. It, it really means that this time around, anything can be a new possibility, a new terrain, um, a new perspective. And since I've known you since, oh, my gosh, 2003, 2004. That's a long time ago. You know, I think it's a very long time ago. And it's super exciting to be here with you and looking at where we are, where everything is this time around.
1: It's nice to talk (laughs) with you, Debbie, after all this time.
0: It's amazing. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So, You know, I have to say, when I met you, you were already legendary, like everybody already knew who you were from ACB radio days, main menu days, um, you out there doing so much tutoring and helping us all know more of the landscape of technology. And I can remember thinking, hmm, I've been involved in radio in the past, maybe I'll get involved in ACB radio one day, but you were making it all happen in so many ways with um, all the different streams of ACB radio. And so I think when I when I met you, I remember I was standing outside of Marlena Lieber's door in her in uh, at the National Convention. And you were I think you were coming out of the room as I was going in. It was Braille note, Braille note kinds of things. So that had to be even 2001 or two, actually, right. And you were so gracious, as you still are, you were very gracious, you, um, you, I remember feeling like you talked to me just for a minute, like you knew who I was already. And like, I was the most important person you could be talking to in that moment. And I remember feeling connected to you right away.
1: Well, that's very kind of you, and, and we've been in touch over many years, on and off, and it's one of those things where you mm-hmm. can not hear from someone for a while, but then when you do, it's like you've never not been in touch. So it's it's one of those yeah. things. And in in terms of ACB Radio, I think one of the things I'm proudest of, having founded that and put the infrastructure in place and basically set some rules around it that still apply, is that when we got started in 1999 – It was a lot harder to do streaming and recording audio on your computer and that kind of thing than it is now. And a lot of people thought that they couldn't possibly do this and that you had to be some sort of tech elite person to get this done. And what I really like about my time at ACB Radio was reflecting on how many people we got producing content and building their confidence, and saying, actually, yeah, with a little bit of hand holding to begin with, you can do this too. And we held workshops at ACB. You know, I remember we did a SoundForge workshop that a lot of people attended, and we actually actively solicited the building of a community that would create content. And actually, a lot of those people are still producing content, not necessarily for ACB Radio, but they might be doing. Podcasts, which weren't around then, or different kinds of things. So it's really great to empower other people and to know that this thing is bigger than any individual at any given time and that it's all about community.
0: It is. It is all about community. And you were and still are a voice of empowering people to know that it's possible. I had come out of radio in the uh, late 80s producing features on what was then known as the motivation station and I can't stand motivational speaking and all that but it was a great opportunity to be with these people and on syndicated and all these different stations my features were going and I remember wanting to get back into radio but I wasn't sure how it was going to be and you were that bridge you were that bridge uh, for me and i want to i want to go back to that feeling in a minute of when we first connected but i want to say that i think it was around 2003 and 4 and 5 when i started reaching out to you and i was i'm amazed to remember how much you were there for me in responding i wanted to build a website i wanted to start editing and and working with SoundForge I wanted and we I started with that I river that iRiver oh, <laughs> yeah. I river little player with rap on it was very accessible yes yeah. yes and we had to count count to get to where we needed to be for for different things that we were doing with it and but you were the one and and teaching me uh, little bits about how to how to get uh, the website built and how you said talk call jeff bishop well i called jeff bishop and jeff was friendly right away and again i thought well what is this high techie person gonna want to do talking to me but he was right there you and jeff were the two people that really got me up and running
1: well it's it's wonderful to know i mean it's it's really nice to see other people just gaining in confidence and yeah, a lot of people have a radio show inside them or a podcast inside them or they really want to communicate their message. And for many, it's getting over that technical complexity at the beginning and then they're away. And I think success breeds success too, right? So once you realize that this thing isn't quite as daunting as you might have thought it was, then you gain some self-sufficiency when you're experimenting with new things.
0: Even back then, though, you were doing things like the holiday projects for interactive, for mm. the music side. You were getting all these different people to sing their parts yeah. and send it to you and putting those things together. That is that is something people are still learning about doing.
1: Yeah, we were pretty on the cutting edge with things like that. Getting, I mean, during mm-hmm. the pandemic, there were a lot of wonderful Projects like this, choirs of all kinds, and that sort of thing. But we did these projects where people from all around the world who may never even have physically met were collaborating on these Christmas songs that people really looked forward to. I mean, by the time we got to year two or year three, people were anticipating the next release. <laughs> and that's that's really cool. And actually, Dave Williams did a lot of work on those. Uh, Greg Brayton, who's no longer here. Yeah. He also did some fantastic work on those. So a lot of credit to them for their production skills on those
0: projects. Amazing. I mean, very cool stuff. And so much that was happening all at once and and you juggling and being you know just main menu constantly I remember shows where you actually talked uh to us about ways to set up a station or ways to set up uh start with pod well podcasting wasn't quite then I guess no podcasting start for you
1: but well I started podcasting in 2004 at the very beginning of podcasting but yeah you're right. I mean Main Menu was just at the right time because it was a grassroots effort. What I really liked about Main Menu, and this, I guess, fits in with my philosophy of of us taking control of our own destinies and having a lot more power over the direction of our lives than many of us realize. And so when I started Main Menu in 2000, well, actually, the reason why I started Main Menu in 2000 was that I was running a show which predates A C B Radio, actually, and i took it to ACB Radio called Blindline. And it was the first yeah, first international talk show for blind and low vision people. Um, there was another one for disabled people, but this was purely blind and low vision, and I wanted to tap into that niche. And so from the middle of 1999, which is pre-ACB Radio, I started Blindline, and we would get people talking about a wide range of issues. And this illustrated the early power of the internet, that, sure, radio historically has been about geographical regions or communities, but the internet meant that we could have communities of interest with their own radio stations. So Blindline was the only thing like that. And then what I found was that Blindline was being hijacked by a lot of technology discussion because people are fascinated by the tech. It frustrates them on the one hand, and it tantalizes them on the other because they know there's so much potential if only they could get through the bugs and the learning curve. So in early 2000, when we were building up ACB Radio, I always like to think, you know, I'm not the kind of person that kind of likes to stay on the mountaintop. I'm looking for the next <laughs> highest mountain. <Yeah. laughs> and, and so I was thinking, this is all right. But what we actually need to do is separate blind lines so that it covers the non techie blindness issues of the day. And let's have a separate technology show. And when I announced that I was going to do this, there were hours of outrage about how I was messing oh. with the blind line <laughs> formula. You can't possibly do this. But sometimes you just have to believe in your gut, uh, and and I always have. So we started Main Menu. Yes, you have. (laughs) We started Main (laughs) Menu, and it was just at the right time because people were learning to record and upload their audio files and things. So we got this amazing grassroots thing going even before podcasting, where for two hours a week, a range of people from around the world would tell us about bits of tech that they were using or a piece of software and because of the number of people that were interested in this stuff, it soon started being broadcast on radio reading services. And yeah. um, and then, you know, we would get products to review. And the major tech companies knew that if they had an announcement to make or a new product to demonstrate, they would bring it to my menu. And I've heard some really cool stories over the years of technology – big names sort of sitting there quaking, waiting for the episode of Main Menu to come out that showcased their product. And I was always really, really careful to try and be meticulously fair. So if a product had good points, we would highlight them, but we weren't afraid to say where it fell short because I didn't want Main Menu to be an infomercial. I wanted it to be kind of like a consumer reports of blindness technology.
0: Yeah, well, I think you still bring that to your wonderful... Mosin at Large podcast, you bring many sides of uh, what's going on with various products and, and providers, wouldn't you say, developers and all that?
1: Yeah, I try. I, and, and people now come to me um, with new product announcements and things, and it's always good to get to that point. Mosin at Large is a little bit like the original blind line in that I've got a limited amount of time outside of my really busy day job, and I wanted to continue to make a contribution and I also didn't want to be oh. pigeonholed into technology because I think a lot about blindness issues, about who we are okay. as blind people in our culture. So Mozen at large is like the new version of Blindline, really. Qu- quite a lot of tech, but also a lot of uh, other stuff.
0: Life, just life kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, life. Yeah. Yeah, you do. We'd be lost so without much. it. What? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I imagine the numbers, the numbers of people that were subscribed to main menu back then, or, or that were listening or the stats of what you saw. And even from the places where it, you know, radio reading services and places where main menu still goes, I, your Mosin at large is getting some very high numbers, isn't it?
1: Very high. I mean, you know, we can, we can get into five digit figures per episode Um, and it's, it, It staggers me, really. I mean, it's it's incredibly nice and humbling that so many people choose to take time when there are so many podcasts out there because it's a much more crowded market than when ACB Radio started. So sure. to have that number of people listening every week and it fluctuates a bit. I mean, um, if, if if we have a... An episode that really interests people, like some new Apple device, or more recently mm-hmm. the Victor Reader Stream, then the numbers will go way up, and then other other episodes not so much. But to know that that audience is there and they're taking a look and deciding whether they want to listen or not is is incredibly humbling, and it's a bit of a responsibility really as well. And I I take that seriously.
0: How is it a responsibility? And what What do you mean by that? Um,
1: it encourages me to be really careful about any criticism that I might make of a piece of technology because I know that I'm in quite a rare position of influence. And I've had to come to terms with that over the years because, you know, I, over time I've tended to just open up the mic and genuinely try to say what I think. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had an incident recently where I felt Strongly compelled to write a blog post on what I believe to be uh, quite a serious miscommunication issue with Ira. Uh, and that blog mm-hmm. post had an a, enormous impact on the community. And so I just, I'm mindful of that now. And I try to use that for good. So recently there was a little bit of uh, confusion around support for the Victor Reader Stream and Audible. And I don't even use a Victor Reader Stream. I'm happy using my iPhone Mm -hmm. for everything. But I knew that the stream's a really popular product and that if the product did not support Audible, a lot of blind people would be disconnected from a, a very important content source. And I believe in blind people being able to access information and whatever form works for them it's not up to anyone else to judge their choices what matters is that they have access to information and so I put a petition together on this issue and um that that really helped human wear and audible get in better communication with one another and resolve some misunderstandings and things so it's nice to be able to use that for for good I guess
0: well sure um and and I think it's it's probably good just from a, I don't know, professional, uh, maybe reputation uh, to be thinking or just contemplating about that, leveraging both what it, what it means in terms of speaking out to the community and, and uh, knowing the power, the power the influence that you have. I will say that there was something else where you made some comments And I saw some discussion on a list about it from different people's point of view of what they thought and and didn't think that you should say and not. And I, in old time way, (laughs) said, this is Jonathan's show. He can say whatever he wants.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. In the end, people have the choice to listen or not listen, right? I mean, that's the choice that they have. And, um, you know, it, it takes me many, many hours a week. Uh, of my evenings and weekends to produce a show of the quality of Mosin-at-Large. And I guess if people don't like it, then they don't have to listen. But also, I think sometimes if you can put an issue in a respectful way that might make people think, you can disagree about an issue without being disagreeable. I mean, we had a pretty yes. intense discussion late last year about what constitutes literacy. and Yes, you we know, did. Yeah, and... That was difficult for some people because it required them to come to terms with the fact that maybe the system had failed them. And when I was talking about if you can't read print and you can't read braille and you can only listen to content that's not true literacy some people felt personally attacked and that's not my intent oh, yeah. my intent you know. is to simply say you know the system has failed people if they're deprived of any form of literacy whatsoever that would not be acceptable for sighted people you don't say to a sighted person don't learn to read print listen to audiobooks instead and when that happens then sure, you know, we should accept that and settle for that for blind people. But until it does, blind people should be allowed to read and fight for the right to read just as sighted people do. So, you know, I I do feel quite sad and I try to buck the trend as best I can that, there is this tendency these days for people to think that if I disagree with you, or if you disagree with me, that makes me a bad person because I have a different point of view from you. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. be that way. No. You know, we we can no. actually like each other as individuals and think differently about things. And I'm really aware of this. I mean, I know, for example, that when I was um, I don't know whether campaigning is the right term, but I was really disappointed with Apple who released a version in beta of their Apple watch software. First it went to developers and then it went to the public beta and it was completely inaccessible with voiceover and they knew it was, I mean, they maybe they didn't when it was released as a developer build, but by the time it got to public beta, they definitely knew that they were releasing the software with voiceover completely disabled. And to me, yeah, that is such a show-stopping bug that I started a petition, and I said, I really, I want Apple to commit to never again knowingly releasing even a beta that completely turns off VoiceOver, because you know blind people want to test this stuff too, and some people strongly objected to that, and and that's fine, you know, we can have a debate, but it's a shame that we can't have these discussions a lot of the time without right. vilifying the person who you disagree with.
0: Sure. Well, sometimes our community, I don't know. I I mean, that's another whole thing, but I think sometimes our community has maybe so much pent up other things that there isn't always an outlet for. And unfortunately, sometimes things are taken out on each other, sadly. And Um, I I get that
1: because when you look at the way our community is in terms of so many of us who have so much to contribute, so much value to add to society and – Because of people's limiting expectations of what we can achieve, we have to fight so much harder just to get ahead. We're put on the sidelines far too often. And if for whatever reason, whether it be tenacity or a really good dollop of luck or whatever it is, somebody kind of does get ahead and puts their head above the parapet, it's a natural human response to think, well, why the hell, why them and not me? You know, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. there, was, there was a lot of that, and I understand the frustration. And that's why I still do Mosin at large. I mean, like, <laughs> or or have done some of the things I've done. I mean, I, I could just spend my weekends vegging out and reading and um, saving my energy for the job I have as a CEO, but I feel a calling to give back.
0: Oh, give back. My goodness, you have given so much. I thought that one of the best debates I ever heard you in, and and it showed what you're saying about people just being able to disagree and still do wonderful things together, is the one that you and Paul had last year um, when you talked about Braille right. and other things that you talked about. I was just back and forth wonderful. That was a fabulous debate that you two had. And I know you and it's backed up with wonderful friendship.
1: Yeah, well, Paul was wrong, but um, he's all right. <laughs> no, 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 seriously. I mean, the thing, the thing if you, if you <laughs> genuinely, if you've researched your position and you believe in it, then you should be able to defend that position without resorting mm-hmm. to personally attacking someone who has a different one. If you get to the point mm-hmm. that you have to personally attack someone, that suggests your argument may not be as strong. And I think One of the big challenges with debate, especially in 2023, is that we're not – we're far too often not willing to say, uh, you know, I had never thought of that. Maybe you're right. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to reconsider Mm -hmm. this position. And to give Paul some credit – he did say exactly that on a couple of the issues. I don't think I completely changed his mind, but he did accept that there were a couple of issues that he may not have given thought to. And 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 I did the same. And that's what, we if we're going well, yeah. to move forward, you've got to do that.
0: Well, sure. And maybe, maybe there's a way of both being right or both, you know, I, I just isn't, instead of this one's right and one's wrong, you know, maybe there's, there are aspects of truth or possibility and what both are saying.
1: Yeah. About I mean, a lot of things. If we can meet in the middle, that's, that's always yeah. ideal. It's not always possible, but yeah, I was no. pleased with that episode because it gave people a chance to hear both sides of that argument and decide for themselves.
0: So I'm going to switch now. Um, and I, I actually, there's one other thing regarding, um, media to come to maybe after this big one but um when i met you i felt so connected as i said and i i even had the feeling of wow i feel like i've known jonathan forever and i classify that in a way as spiritual for me now not religious but there is something um I don't know what, it, what I would say, unifying um, something much larger that feels to me that goes on that I guess I would call spiritual, but like I said, not religious. And it was years later that I heard you speak about atheism for mm. you. And I wondered if you would talk about that, uh, how you first came to that, and, and maybe some of what that means to you in light of what I was just saying.
1: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um. (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay yeah Um, I I did not grow up in a strongly Christian family my parents didn't go to church I, I think religious life is not so strong here in New Zealand overall that's not to say that we don't have some devoutly religious people here but I guess what I have observed over the years about the United States is that For many, the church is really the center of community life, and a lot of things kind of spiral out of your church connections, and maybe Walmart's replacing the church for some people in that regard. I was was stunned when I spent more time in America how many people in certain parts of the States you just— hang around the Walmart in the evening just shooting the breeze, you know, and maybe maybe you'd buy a pack of chewing gum or something just to keep Walmart happy, but people would just congregate there and talk about all sorts of things. So I don't know. Especially
0: um, when you get your morning readers. you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, yeah, so it's a different culture. But um, but I, I actually had some, um, or one teacher in particular at school that uh, was our music teacher who got me interested, and I voluntarily became a Christian, and I started going to church and was baptized later in life. I mean, I was given the—I the, think I was given the classic Anglican christening when I was a very small baby, but this was a different thing. This was the, the, the immersion baptism. I attended church every week for a few years as a teenager, and one of my friends became very sick and um he and and it started to get me thinking about why bad things happen to good people, and it awakened me to what I perceive to be oh, I don't know how can I describe this i the 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 combination of oppression that religion has been responsible for. Now, just bear in mind, you did ask the question. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, uh, I did, no, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> the, 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 the kind of oppression that religion is responsible for uh, over the years um, and the misinformation, you know, people have been persecuted for demonstrably proven scientific facts. So there's all of that oppression mm-hmm. thing. And it's, it's also, for me, it's a comfort. It would be nice to think that there is some dude or dudette up there controlling everything. But then I came to the conclusion, well, if that's the case, they sure aren't doing a good job. All the way going back to the fact that if you believe the biblical story, God created the devil, right? I mean, God created Lucifer and Lucifer went rogue. And um, all all our problems, according to biblical teachings, started from there. So there's a fundamental flaw in the celestial programming, right? Um, It could have been avoided. So I, I got to thinking about these big existential questions and I, for me, I came to the conclusion that it didn't make sense that, that I would have a better life if I took control of my own destiny and lived by a code that essentially said, actually, I am responsible for me. The best contribution I have is the one life that I have. And if we want eternal life... The way to achieve that eternal life is through the legacy that we, re- that we leave on the planet. Have we left the planet when it's our time to go a better place in some way than when we came into it? And actually, I, I view life like that, but I also view each day like that. I try and write down at the end of the day things that I think I've done today that helped someone somewhere or made a difference mm-hmm. in some way. And to me knowing that the choices I make are singularly responsible for that and not outsourcing that to some sort of being uh, for whom there is no evidence has empowered me to lead a good life. Now, the, the spiritual is a slightly different... Well, it's a very different thing in my mind in the sense that over i tell you a really, really weird story. <laughs> I was uh, in a bar in, I think it was Canada, and um, my first marriage had split up, and it was my youngest daughter's birthday, and I was traveling for work, and I was generally feeling pretty sorry for myself. And uh, so I was sitting there having a little Chardonnay, and obviously looking very despondent, sort of sitting there on my own with nursing this glass of Chardonnay, and this person came up to me. It was a woman, and she said, "What's the matter with you?" You know, and I, so I told her exactly what the matter with me was, and she said, "What you need to do is read a book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle." And I said, "Okay, that's a that's a weird name." Um, she said, you, <laughs> "You need you need you need to read that," and then she left. And so I read this book. And it really changed my life. And now that I look back on it, I wonder whether it even really happened. But it must have, because I hadn't heard of that book before then. Um, and so over the years, I have gained enormous, I mean, enormous benefit from meditation, um, from mindfulness practices. I keep a gratitude journal. And and that has helped me a lot. But I, I see that as quite distinct from religion, which in my mind is just baseless superstition i mean i can point to the science that indicates the significant benefits to one's brain uh, heart health mental health of meditation so i can dig it because it's evidence-based
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting yeah i know that oh there have been other sort of crazes or things i've been involved in over the years and i remember you saying, "Oh, but there isn't evidence for that and and I was kind of like, "Well, I'm not so into evidence and that is that is true in in some ways when I think of um someone like you saying well i don't you know I don't subscribe to some of what's said in religion, I think of someone saying, You know." Um, that that thing about this being in the sky that answers this and that, you know, it's kind of like Santa Claus. Um, are, have you been good? Have you been bad? Are you on the list to get um, goodies or are you going to get coal? You know, <laughs> it's sort of mythical in a way. And I wonder if that some of what you uh, if if that could be compared to. Um, some of what you're saying. Yeah, I mean... It's almost parent-child, too, in religion.
1: It's very hard to have these discussions with many Americans, unfortunately. Uh, If I were the Beatles, they'd be burning my records by now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, so uh, there is quite a lot of interesting... See, I read about this a lot, you see. I mean, people think that somehow I... I've just discarded it and things, but I do read an awful lot on these sorts of subjects. Mm-hmm. And so there is mm-hmm. some suggestion. There's, there's quite a significant body of work that suggests that Jesus, for example, was an aggregate, that an individual called Jesus may not have actually lived. But let's say that he did. He was a great teacher. And if mm-hmm. you separate all of the oh, um, the the ceremony and the... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? All all that kind of um, ritual—that's the word. If you separate the Mm -hmm. ritual ritual,
0: story, yeah, yeah. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. and all of the kind of the the wealth of some of the wealthier churches and all that kind of stuff, and you just read some teaching from Jesus about loving others, and uh, you know the, the the all of those sorts of fundamental basic ideas. That powerful. And when you separate a lot of the rituals and the my tribe's better than your tribe kind of thing, and if you don't believe what I believe, you're going to burn an, an eternal fire forever. Actually, there is significant overlap between all of the great teachers. And if you just distill the advice and the thinking from many of those great teachers, mm-hmm. there's a lot of wisdom there, a lot of wisdom.
0: See, that's where I thought you were going to come out on this. That's where I thought that... I I know um, I have a another friend of mine who uh, said she is Hindu and her husband is atheist and they're very close spiritually. Right. So I, I'm not I'm not hearing anything from what you're saying that would would make me think that you don't have many of the same kinds of values ultimately that I have, uh, you know, and that many people have for goodness and kindness i mean if there was there was a uh, to be a group of people who stand for some of the greatest kindness and resilience and forgiveness and goodness and you know i would i mean you're you're right there you're right in that group of people and so i don't i don't see your belief system as something that takes you away from those kinds of principles
1: Well, thank you. And this is, again, coming back to the fact that often people talk past each other and they have labels. And so as soon as somebody dares to use that word atheist, it suddenly makes them a bad person or persona non grata or everything. But I'm proud of the fact that I have not inherited my belief system I have read an awful lot. I read a lot of philosophy, um, things about mm-hmm. religious works, and I've come to this conclusion independently, and it works for me. And so, and and the older I get, the more relaxed I am about saying, look, I I don't really mind what works for you. I I, I know that there are atheists, for example, who are. Um, bad people or you know, not not kind, but there are an awful lot of people who practice oh. religious faith who are also oh, yeah. not kind and who have done mm-hmm. despicable things. So absolutely. there is no guarantee either way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's absolutely beautiful. I love it. And so is there is there any kind of, not a being, but is there any kind of an... Um, an essence or a, an order to this to this thing we call life.
1: I'm happy to be convinced otherwise, but based on everything I've read at the moment, my gut says no. You, okay. to, and, and people find that hard to accept because you know, when you look at this planet and all the things that had to be true, for human life to exist, the, the the minute differences that could have made this planet inhabitable. And yet here we are. And so there's a natural tendency to think, well, somebody has done this. Well, I would say two things. First, we have to have an appreciation of just how vastly huge the universe is. And so mm-hmm. eventually you were likely to find that exact mix. It's pretty rare. So far, we haven't found anything else. And so the randomness of life, I mean, sometimes really random stuff just happens, you know, and we've seen this in our (laughs) own lives. Um, I think about Bonnie, for example, my wife, and how we met and how uh, of all the people in the whole world, you know i met her at a time when i needed to and it's just really random yes um so so things are random so i'd say that and the second thing i would say is there has to be a beginning point somewhere and one of the things that no one's really been able to tell me is okay if there is a designer then who designed the designer you've uh-huh. you've got to have a beginning <laughs> at some point right and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um I don't, I don't i don't i mean if there is a god How did God? How was God created? You know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I my my feeling is that um, the the best evidence we have is the Big Bang theory, and that no, I don't I don't think there is anything out there. I mean, it may be that if um, Putin's about to nuke us all or something. And uh, some, oh, I was joking about those <laughs> those things in the sky that the Americans were shooting down, and I thought, well, you know, well, maybe may, maybe the maybe the aliens are coming to tell us our time is up. But um, no, I mean, <laughs> if we're about to destroy ourselves and something um, pops up to to stop us, then I guess I'm wrong. But look, I, all I can do is ba- go based on the best evidence that's mm-hmm. out there.
0: So. And does I gather this works for you and Bonnie? I don't know. No, is, Bonnie is Bonnie.
1: Bonnie is a Christian and okay. she um so she, she views things very differently for me. She believes that there mm-hmm. is a place for us when we die. Um mm-hmm. when my father died six years ago, uh I really wished that I had that comfort that she had, that he was living on somewhere and I just don't I just can't kid myself mm-hmm. um, and this is an interesting conversation that I've had with people who say well when somebody in your family dies what do you tell your children don't you have a duty of care to your children to let them know that you know they're a star now smiling down from heaven or something uh, and I, I don't think that I have a duty to lie to my children. And, and as far as I'm concerned, that would be. Um, I don't believe there mm-hmm. is anything after this, but that's why I want to make the most of the time I have. Uh, I think sure. it. Yeah, it's. I think it's my my belief mm-hmm. system um, encourages me to pack a lot in.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I I I don't see. I don't have a problem with that. I feel differently, but that I think we all have many things to to find out. I mean, I, if we do find out, I mean, I just think that we don't, I don't know that we have all the answers. I don't know if we do or we don't, you know, but I think like you said, it's, it's kind of a, um, you know, when you say, when they say, don't you have a duty? I don't think you have a duty to lie to your kids or Mm. your grandkids. No, Mm. not at all. I, I think you recognize that your beliefs are your beliefs and like bonnie's beliefs or anyone else's are what they are and it it it's it's um coexisting co co-sharing and with a great deal of respect i hear yeah
1: know. hopefully and and i i do think that we have an obligation to seek truth to to continue to strive to seek truth and to realize that we may not have it right and I'm absolutely mm-hmm. open to uh, that. You look at, for example, we're we're a much less superstitious people as a species than we used to be as science has mm-hmm. advanced. And we've learned more about the way that our universe is and how we're structured. We're sending little probes and things out into the stars. And I do hope that sooner rather or later that we'd be living on other planets, because um, mm-hmm. we're we'll certainly making a mess of this one. And I, th- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we, we, have, we do have a duty of care to look after as temporary custodians of this planet, uh, the planet that we're on. And what does concern me is that if people think that there is something better when they die, first, it encourages a kind of a disrespect for the planet that we're definitely on right now. And second, it means that we may squander the opportunity that's right before us. This is why the power of now resonated with me so strongly when I did read it after that woman's advice, because I realized that the only time we're certain of is the here and now. We can't go back and change the past as much as we would sometimes like to. And we may not even have Mm. a future. The only thing we've got absolute control over is what we do in this Mm -hmm. moment and actually when you internalize that Mm -hmm. it's incredibly empowering
0: yeah yeah wow i like i like that it is and and it really does put the power even um some of the uh new thought spirituality that i've been involved with over the years talks about the importance of now talks about um self-responsibility I call it response ability, mm. the ability to respond, and that it, it really is not about um, giving our power to something out there. It's about embracing it within. And even, uh, even um, new thought or <clears throat> metaphysics would tend to say that if there is this God, that it really is within us. It's not out there. It's not up there. It's that we're all part of this this power, this essence, this whatever it is to me to me, it's more of an it than a he or a she now, or it embraces he and she, but it's it in fact, I mean to me it's it's <laughs> it's the fullness of life, it's the essence of life in this whatever it is. And so one of my favorite things to say is that I'm full of it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because you bring up the fact there that the traditional concept of God in the religions that are, are most, yeah, the monotheistic religions that are so popular mm-hmm. now, that they are quite patriarchal constructs, aren't they?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, they are. And for a while I was doing the father-mother Uh, And then I uh, started hearing, well, you know, it could be personal and impersonal. I was like, yeah, okay. And, and so, I mean, I think it is maybe able to be all things in different ways. But um, to me, uh, when I think of, you know, the sun rising and your beautiful granddaughter being born and, and, you know, people connecting you and Bonnie right at the right time. To me, there's an it of influence. However, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know that we can define it all.
1: I mean, that's the thing. You know, it, things things are so random and some people see some sort of guiding force. And I don't know. I mean, I, I just I just don't i don't Mm -hmm. see any evidence of it but i I do love it when wonderful things happen for whatever reason and certainly meeting bonnie was a wonderful thing (laughs) (laughs)
0: Absolutely, yeah yeah and how about how about extraterrestrials or life on other planets do you think that that's happening
1: well so far there's no evidence but you'd have to say based on the balance of probabilities given how vast the universe is it does seem unlikely that we are the only intelligent life mm-hmm. or semi-intelligent life to be, mm-hmm. um, but <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I'd I'd like you know, I'm I'm curious about this. I really am. I would love to know mm-hmm, the answer mm-hmm. before my time's up definitively. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd you'd have to say, as I say, on the balance of probabilities, there's got to be something else. But so far, nothing's turned up, and maybe maybe we're better that way. <laughs> you know, I mean, we don't we, well, we don't yeah. know whether these. We don't know. These other know. beings, what would they be like? Um, would right? would, they, would they do us harm, or would they would they assist us? Um, are they more intelligent than us? You know, all sorts of things. But I, I do like all science fiction. fiction. I'm a big sci-fi fan. Yeah.
0: So here's another thing that I wanted us to segue into, and this is probably a perfect time. What do you think about all that's going on now with with AI?
1: Um. I think it raises some very complex ethical questions. On balance, I'm one of these people that, I'm, that is optimistic about technology. I think when mm-hmm. you look at what it's like to be a blind person now compared with what it was like to be a blind person even 30 years ago, which is in the yeah. living memory of most of us. I mean, it's amazing. In 1993, there was still so much inaccessible print floating around it was difficult for many of us to read our local newspaper and participate in the public discourse Uh, shopping for a birthday present or something was a chore because you had to rely on someone else to assist you and on and on and on and we are just so much more empowered now Than we were 30 years ago. It's astounding the life change that many blind people have had. It's just so cool. And so I do believe in technology's power for good. Um, Obviously, it has its downsides. I, I was optimistic about the internet bringing communities together, and it has done that. But it's also fueled misinformation and trolling. And, you know, people respond to that differently and have varying degrees of skin thickness and so there have been people who have literally been killed by the pressure of being trolled on the internet and misinformation abounds and things like that so in, in terms of ai um ai has enormous potential in a blindness context because you know I, I do see a time when there'll be such a big data set that we've gathered together that you can you can have kind of like a virtual Ira agent or something uh, on your th- device, whatever that might be. It might be a phone. It might be a headset. It might be something completely different. Mm. And because of that data set, it can tell you information that you need to know, um, all, all sorts of things like that. So overall, I'm positive, but we've got to be very, very careful because what we've seen is that computers do become more powerful over time and – Although it does sound like sci-fi, there certainly is the potential for us to create an intelligence that's greater than us that may start taking some quite um, aggressive detrimental action to humans if the AI perceives that we are putting the planet at serious risk. But, you know, that's a long time away, I hope. And uh, I just did an interview Uh, just before we recorded this, uh, I published an interview regarding this new voice cloning technology from a company called Eleven Uh Labs. And that really is quite incredible. I mean, it can be used for good on the one hand. I learned a few years ago through Bonnie, actually, about this journalist in the States who had some kind of virus and it completely took his voice away. And he was a radio journalist. And they got AI to generate a voice for him that could sit on a computer that was essentially a voice print so that he could type his pieces in a Word document and his voice could read them out so he could record that for the radio. Um, So I mean, there's all sorts of really cool use cases, but we've just got to be careful. We're we're certainly seeing some really weird speed bumps along the road with chat GPT and Bing's implementation of that and misinformation. So. Look, it's one of those tools that there's no putting it back in the bottle, but we've it can be used right. for good and for ill
0: well i yeah, uh Jeff and I have had conversations, Jeff Bishop, and I've had conversations about this i I mean we've seen it with audio editing, the way that things can be changed around we've seen with with written the written word, how things can be you know moved and changed dramatically, so uh, what's to say they couldn't copy our voice and use it in ways that, you know, to say, well, you said such and such. No, I didn't, but.
1: We can do that right now. You know, and I, and that's, there
0: are some scary things.
1: Yeah, that there are some really serious ethical considerations. And I'm <laughs> laughing because uh, with Bonnie's consent, using this 11 labs technology, I created a very realistic uh, text to speech engine. Of Bonnie's voice and in the most recent Mosin at Large which is episode 215 for those people going back I actually did a like a a small tech summary a summary of this week's tech tech news and I had Bonnie's AI read that and it's a a bit (laughs) glitchy in places but it really really does sound like Bonnie and so the other day I said to her thank you for Giving me an exemption from putting out the recycling and she said what are you talking about I said listen to this I've got a recording of you saying and I played a recording of Bonnie saying Jonathan you no longer need to take out the recycling and she said you stopped that so um I mean it it, in all seriousness though I mean it it really it really does raise all sorts of issues um what Mm -hmm. how how can we be assured of reality anymore and there are ethical considerations too where you could technically um, bring someone's voice back to life. I mean, if you've got recordings mm-hmm. of sufficient quality of someone who has died, you could do anything. I mean, you could create a podcast sure. or interview with them. You could you could create a radio show with oh, them. I mean, it, it, wow. it really is quite scary in some ways. Um, yeah. Now, see, again, that can be used for good. So the guy from Eleven Labs that I was talking to about this, he said uh he's from poland originally and his grandfather had written i think a memoir or a poem something like that about some of his experiences and his grandmother his grandfather now has died but if they can find sufficient quality samples of the grandfather then they can actually have this this work of literature that he has left behind read in his own voice now that's wonderful. I mean, if you can give that gift mm-hmm. to the next generation it's it's wow. epic, but then if you use that same voice to have him say things that he would never have said, I've then said, you yeah. know there's serious ethical considerations there
0: sure and i I mean, I could see that in, in so many ways with what could be happening going forward, and it could also change the way we as blind people get to read. I mean, it could really change uh, the kinds of voices that we have reading our books.
1: Yeah, currently we have a discussion, do you prefer text-to-speech, cranked up usually, or do you prefer human narrators reading an audiobook? And very, very quickly now, that's not going to be the discussion because some of this AI is going to be indistinguishable from a human reader.
0: Mm-hmm hmm Wow. Ooh, that is wild. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for better or worse. I mean, it's it's and, and 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 even though we're seeing this, it doesn't mean that it's all going to be with the same value system of everyone working with it.
1: No, no, and that that is really troubling. Um and the eleven labs people who are the flavor of the month in this space right now tell me that they can watermark mm-hmm. their files. So if there's some sort of questionable use, they can trace it back, but we mm-hmm. you know we another company could come along tomorrow who don't behave as ethically.
0: right, right. I mean when i yeah, I heard some of this eleven lab stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I used to love to play with my mixer and had the pitch effect and you know have all kinds of of fun, but this is this is such another level of Um, what can be done and um wow well i'm glad that you've been able you've gotten with them and that interview is that going to be something that we will be hearing
1: yes that was actually in episode 215 so it was just published as we record this the week before yeah Mm -hmm. and in that episode is where you can hear the um the bonnie ai which is pretty impressive
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh that is funny oh my gosh that is hysterical (laughs) Yeah. no more recycling yep oh wow well okay so i know that you're going to have to be getting to work here soon but hmm. what else haven't we said that you might want to get in um what else would you like to add
1: oh man how many hours have you got Um uh, no it's, as many
0: as you want <laughs> listen i am so happy i am so happy to spend time with you it's like oh what a what a wonderful circle. Uh, I wish that we had never been away or apart, but but I am so, so appreciative to reconnect with you and to do this today. I really am.
1: Well, likewise. And Just to say, I'm in my day job these days for the last four years nearly. I've been chief executive of an organization called WorkBridge, which is a New Zealand organization that finds jobs for a range of disabled people in the open market. And that's been such a challenge because there was significant transformation required when I first started because the organization had been moved to outcomes-based contracts. So it's not simply enough to help people and have good intentions. We survive or not based on how many people we enroll and how many people we place into open employment and how long they stay in that job. And so getting those outcomes has been all important. And so there was quite a bit of restructuring that I needed to do at the beginning. And then we hit the pandemic and being a chief executive in a pandemic is just a hoot, not, uh, and various other things. So, uh, But it's it's helped me to grow as a person i really love the work it's very meaningful and when i get an email from somebody who talks with such appreciation about receiving their first ever paycheck and working for an employer who believes in them uh, it it's mm-hmm. wonderful so yeah there are two strands to this really one is encouraging people to believe in themselves that they they are entitled to and can expect meaningful employment and to participate. And then we've built up this network across the country of what I call disability confident employers, people who see the can and who don't focus on the can't and uh, people who are willing to give someone a fair go. And we expand that network. We've done a lot of work on dispelling the myths that prevent disabled people from gaining employment. And it's just, it's a truly wonderful thing to be a part of. You know, it, it, it's making a difference.
0: Wow. I i have watched you move through what I've often called my own corporate ladder. I think you have your own corporate ladder, you know, of where you've worked and all that you've done and following that, uh, I don't know, that pulse, that feel to be of increasing influence, in all the, the ways that you have over the years. And so, yeah, this is, it, it's, you know, CEO of a company that still is part of the, the field of people with disabilities. I don't know what you, I don't know that you would call it. You don't use that phrase not with we don't know Zealand, the disabled, no, yeah,
1: yeah, no yeah. The disabled. Yeah. Um, And the reason for that, by the way, is that we embrace in New Zealand what we call the social model of disability, which hasn't really gained traction in the US. But the best way to explain this is to think that disability doesn't belong with the person. It belongs with society's choices to disable a person. And to give you an example, and I often (laughs) cite this to people that we work with, let's say that it's three in the morning, sounds like an old... uh, and I'll John McCain ad, it's 3 a.m. and a phone is ringing in the White House. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's say it's 3 a.m., and for whatever reason, the, the power everywhere is out. So it's completely dark. There's no streetlights, nothing going on. And because of some emergency or other, there are two of us that need to get to my office on the third floor of the building, and I'm blind, and the other person is not, and the lifts, are, the elevators are out. Who would be the disabled person in that situation? And the answer is not me. And the reason why right. is because all of the tools that sight-dependent people rely on are off, and that has made them disabled because they don't have the skills mm-hmm. to function in a, yeah. uh, in a non-visual world. So I do. So at that point, sure. I'm not the disabled person. And that's why we talk yeah. about disabled people because it's about society. It's not about the individual.
0: Wow. I really do like that perspective. I really, that's, I know I've heard you say it, but this time I think I really heard it. I like that. And um, yeah, I mean, I often will say, well, they talk about disabled vehicles. Are they going down the road in glasses and wheelchairs?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and see, this is a tricky one because um, people do worry about getting hung up on language. And one of the things that I have talked about a lot on my podcast and people have differing views on this is the use of ableist language and the use of Mm -hmm. blind as a pejorative um your blind rage blind ignorance or you're completely blind Mm -hmm. about this subject or whatever And uh, it has become a a campaign of mine. I've written newspaper articles in this country saying, you know, you wouldn't denigrate women, you wouldn't denigrate ethnic minorities, but you seem to have license to denigrate disabled people. And it's not just blind people. I mean, you know, crippling house prices, um, pleas to this politician have fallen on deaf ears. And essentially all these things that make disability a negative. And I have mixed success. so. One of our major media outlets has now tried to stop it. They've had meetings with their journalists to say, don't do this. You're denigrating people. Um, There's a radio show that Bonnie and I listen to in the morning with a brilliant broadcaster. And just in the last month, she's used the word blind as a pejorative four times. It's, It's sort of like it's come out of nowhere. And so I sat down and rather than rant, I wrote her quite a lengthy letter explaining the harm that this does, that when the word blind seeps into the psyche like that as a negative and a pejorative, it does influence the way people think about blindness in the subconscious. And so that can affect yes. our job prospects. It affects public policy allocation because people are quite blind with useless, essentially. Um, so it really does mm-hmm. have quite complex subconscious effects. And I wrote this and I I got the most, just yesterday, I got the most profuse apology back And a real empathy and an understanding. And she said, look, I'm really sorry that I required you to even write this through my behavior. And you're absolutely right. It's something I hadn't given thought to. and I I won't do it anymore, and please call me up on it if I ever accidentally do. But it was just so wonderful to be acknowledged and heard. And then on the other hand, our public broadcaster is just completely indifferent, and they'll come back and they'll say, ah, we've used blind like this for years. You know, go away.
0: Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the problem. Yeah, It it (laughs) It has been used for you forever. But you also don't like the phrase people who are. You don't care for that either.
1: Well, only that, so I wrote a piece that really resonated with a lot of people and I was quite surprised because it, it came out of the facts that um, I mentioned just in passing how that I'm proud to be blind. Uh, I yeah, perceive it as a very <laughs> positive, thank you. I perceive it as a positive and so I got challenged by a listener. How can you possibly think that such a debilitating condition is, is, is a source of pride? Oh. So I wrote that. Um, and so for me, like if if you're just at peace with your with, with a characteristic or, or a, a trait that you have, why use convoluted language around it? I mean, I don't say I'm a person who is short, or a person <laughs> who is from New Zealand, um, or a person experiencing maleness. So why would I be a a person who is blind? I'm just a blind person, just like I'm a short person, like I'm a New Zealander. It's just another way to identify me but it doesn't require any kind of special linguistic hoops to go through
0: I guess for me and it depends on where I am but there are people who have noted when I've said I am a person who is blind there it sort of stops some of their stereotypical thinking about blind and they go oh yeah this is a person first so I guess I do it in a way it's almost a making it a teachable moment at least I hope that is what I'm doing but in another way yeah I wouldn't say why well, I, I am I am a person who happens to be a woman you know I wouldn't normally say that you're right and
1: I guess if you look at the pride aspect of this and these days when I talk about pride a lot of people think I'm talking about LGBTQ issues which is actually a testimony to how successful that community or those communities have been about turning Mm -hmm. the narrative around. I mean, even, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, maybe not 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the idea of gay marriage for most people was just weird. People couldn't get their head around that. And now it's the law of the land in many places, and thank goodness for that. Mm -hmm. But all of that has come about because of the pride that those communities have in who they are, and so you don't often hear somebody saying, I'm a person who is gay, do you? I mean, or I'm a person who is African-American. It's just, you know, I am African-American. I'm yeah. gay, you know, and, yeah. and they own it. And we should own it because we've got nothing to be ashamed of.
0: That's true. That is true. And I hope we, I hope we get to that place. I think that we still have, there's quite a bit of sort of stuckness about what blind is. That's why... What you say about you know, those statements is so important to get people to see. I mean, it really, it's a shame. And yet I love the way you embraced it in your why you're proud to be blind. I mean, that's beautifully written, just beautifully stated.
1: Well, see, the thing is, who was there first? I mean, before they started using derogatory, denigratory language around blindness, blind people existed first. We we're the original Mm -hmm. owners of the word blind, and what you also see is the tendency, particularly for some agencies, to avoid the word blind because they perceive there's stigma around the term blind. Mm
0: -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so my
1: response is hell no. And it's you know it's often cited people doing this. It's often cited people telling us we need to avoid the word blind. And so you have this latest buzzword thing about people experiencing sight loss now. As far as I'm concerned, that completely excludes me because I was born blind. I've never had sight exactly. to lose. You know. So sure. don't don't do that. And so no. <laughs> you know, and when I when I come across it, I actually stop and I say, No, I I don't have sight loss. I, I know some people do. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah. I'm blind because I never had sight in the first mm-hmm. place. Mhm.
0: Yeah. No, I, I can definitely get with that. And and all this, you know, handy, capable and oh, yeah. you know the uh sightless and you know visually challenged and yeah right i'm not challenged the other really big one
1: is differently abled that's another yeah
0: yeah Yeah. a lot of people don't like i did like that i don't know it's a little convoluted though you know it's it's you know i i liked uh i liked people with disabilities yeah um but again it's longer to say and and you know and like you said, we're not always the ones who are disabled. You know? No. I mean, I love that example. Yeah.
1: And the other thing, too, is that there's a downside to this, which is that people become so nervous about saying the wrong thing that it discourages discourse. Um, and th- this is something that we work on with our customers this is one thing i changed here too is that we don't talk about clients anymore we talk about customers because i want mm, uh, i yes. want the people we work with to be treated as valued customers entitled to a high I quality service but Beautiful. one of the one of the things we talk to our customers about is um the, the idea of what we call positive disclosure because although i would never for a moment want us to go back to an era where there wasn't legislation prohibiting discrimination on the grounds of disability, what it can mean is that an employer does have some genuine questions about, okay, how would you work with our systems? How would you do this job actually? Because I'm not blind and I don't know. And I genuinely need to know because this is my business we're talking about and I get all that. But if they feel impeded about asking those questions for fear of saying the wrong word or coming afoul a, a, a mm-hmm. of the discrimination law, then the employer will just assume, and you know what they say about assume, right?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and and that means that, that the person might miss out on a job that they would have gotten had they been able to have an open conversation about the fears that the employer has. So we do a lot of work on this positive disclosure where we encourage people to own the job interview and say, you know, at a certain point, well, you know, you obviously see my white cane. You may be wondering how... Could I do this job? And let me explain to you the computer Beautiful. technology I use and that kind of stuff.
0: Beautiful. I was always open in yeah. cover letters, making it a positive. And I know a lot of people say, "Oh no, no, no! I would, I would not say anything, uh, you know, beforehand." But I think, yeah, I mean, and I, I do even teach. I think there are times and places to ask questions. I don't like to feel like a pamphlet that I have to answer everyone's questions everywhere all the time, but there, there are times and places for it, and certainly in an interview, that's going to help to bring to light any of those, any of those things that could be assumptions and make it a, a positive environment for uh, you know, someone saying, "Yeah, well, this is how I manage these things. This is how I do these things."
1: The big challenge is definitely when do you disclose as well as how. Mm -hmm. And so if the really nice thing is that there's an increasing number of workplaces that are seeking diversity and that that have some matrices in place that measure how diverse is their workforce. So actually now disclosing your impairment can be a positive and can get you onto the yes pile. But there's also a counter-argument that says, that they are looking for any excuse to put someone on the no pile when they're doing the um, the filtering before they select interviewees. And so in some cases, if you disclose too early, you may be shooting yourself in the foot a bit. But this, I mean, there's no right answer. And I think you just have mm-hmm. to look at each individual job application and situation and decide, you know, what to do. If If I was sending a demo in for voiceover work, for example, or, or radio work, I wouldn't disclose in because it, <laughs> it makes no difference. Right. Yeah.
0: It doesn't make any difference. That's right. Well, yeah. and there was a time, a lot of time, when disability wasn't even included in diversity. No. Yeah. And wasn't included as minority. It's still you know, the case.
1: I, I mean, we, we constantly yeah. have to fight that battle and say, you know, don't, don't forget to include disability when you're looking at diversity. And I don't know the exact statistics in the United States, but here in New Zealand, it is dire. I mean, our last census, we're about to do another one, but our last census estimated that about 24% of New Zealanders have some sort of impairment, and 48% of disabled people are not in employment educational training. And it's a shocking statistic. Um, the unemployment rate of disabled people overall is well over double that of the non-disabled population, it's pretty low here right now. So mm. we've got some dire statistics, and it's a really complex labyrinth of things. A lot of it's about expectations of the of the disabled individual, and expectations of society and employers. You know, a lot of people don't think disabled people are worth investing in. Um, so mm-hmm. th- it's those challenges that keep me so motivated because I, I guess I like to make change, and there's a lot left to do
0: yeah but you've been so good at doing that over so many years i i have to say i mean when i think of you back you know humanware freedom scientific ira I, I mean just on and on you have you have been on that pulse of going in those directions to Phew. use your abilities to make a difference and and wow i mean i just i'm just cheering cheering for all of your good work over this many years.
1: Well, thank you. And it's been great to catch up and um, have a chat about some issues, which which may well generate a bit of response, I guess.
0: <laughs> may well. Mm-hmm. I think very positive, though. I really do. I think, I think very positive. And I appreciate your willingness to go in the directions that we've gone today and and wow, and your time and your flexibility. So I thank you so much. And um, and I think this will be up later this week.
1: Wow. And thank you for your own contribution, Debbie. And uh, yes, yeah, great to be on the podcast and, and all the things that you've done over the years with, with health and wellness and all sorts of really interesting areas that, mm. that get us thinking. So it's great to catch up.
0: Well, there's always more of that, you know. There's always more, and and your time with the minx and having me on, and oh yeah, and all the nutrition stuff that we talked about, and yeah, you know, I still, I still uh, think that I, I tend to say I think that many times we're dealing with overprocessed food and underprocessed emotions. I so completely that's, that's big, agree. Gosh, there's a
1: whole area we haven't even explored. Is that. That it? I, I tell you what, um. Taking control of my diet and taking the processed mm-hmm. food out, I choose to do the ketogenic thing. So I have very low carb stuff, bit of kombucha, and um, uh, no. and and I just feel I like I have so much more energy now than I ever did, and um, it's it's just incredible. Sometimes you forget how vulnerable your body is, and so I kind of think, oh well, what what's the harm if I have a few cookies or a dessert or whatever and you feel it when your body is mm-hmm. properly tuned and you you make the choice um, my goodness you 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 do feel it and people kind of say how can you do this you know you you've got such a boring diet and don't you miss things but I feel so good and I think the combination of the the food the the meditation you know all of that that mix um, the meditation make me feel so good that I just decided I wouldn't bother with alcohol anymore, and that was about seven years ago. Um, and so I just feel fantastic and well-tuned. And so you don't want that stuff in your system anymore because it's just it plays havoc with the way that you feel.
0: Doesn't it give you uh, more resilience or a, uh, a, almost a longer fuse or ways of dealing with things that could have been problematic or could have been reactive?
1: Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I think it was just a wonderful combination of things that I really stumbled upon ketogenic eating and meditation and things and really embraced all of that, uh, lost a massive amount of weight and all those Mm. things happened before uh, this really high-pressure job that I now have where we have 120 staff around the country things tend not to come to me unless there's some sort of problem or significant decision and i know that had i not been living the kind of life i am now in terms of what i eat and how i look after myself it and and when i look back on the pandemic for example the whole thing would have got on Mm. top of me a lot more
0: (laughs) yeah yeah sure Mm. it's a it's great and i I am so happy that you and Bonnie have each other and the lives you have. I just it's just beautiful. So
1: me too. She's very wow. tolerant, <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, she's she's great. We uh, we Wonderful we woman. we get on so well, and she's super intelligent and um, just a really warm person. And uh, mm-hmm. she she's one of those people that just has a natural curiosity about the world around her and others. And um, she, she remembers things that I'm just useless at. Like you know, she'll meet someone, she'll remember what the name of their cat is, or yeah, you know, things oh. like. She has. She's one of those like people that could have come out of a Dale Carnegie book because she takes a genuine interest in other people, and oh, she's yeah. she's brilliant.
0: Yeah, I remember the first time I spoke with her in Clubhouse, mm. and um, you know, and it was just great. It was just great to be with you both in there. That was kind of the first time we got to. Speak after many years. Oh so, my word! Wow. Yeah. 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 You and you and me, and then the first time I had ever spoken with her. So, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. huge appreciation. Thank you so much. It's and, a pleasure. Uh, thank you for inviting you'll me. It, you'll know when you know when well. Thank you for doing this with me. Such a huge influence you've been. So, uh absolutely. I knew when I was going to start this that you're one of the absolute first ones that I. You know, we didn't. You weren't. Didn't get to be. At the very beginning of this series, but I'm so glad to do it now. It's so. an honor. Thank you.